the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Okay, I have a little quiz for you today. A little quiz. What did these words have in common? Straightway, immediately, after this, and again. What do those words have in common? Well, these are action words that are all in the Gospel of Mark. And we welcome you to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here along with Bert Harper. So glad you're listening. And you've tuned in at the right time. Just yesterday, we began a look at the 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark. We got a little ways into chapter 1 yesterday, so you haven't really missed too much, and you're just at the right place to join in as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Bert, this is a book of action, isn't it? It really is. It moves, as someone would say. And in the first two chapters, I'm I'm just going to run this down real quickly. I was looking at this, the baptism, the temptation, uh, then he goes to cast out demons. He heals a, a Peter's mother-in-law. He has many healings. A leper is clean, uh, cleansed. A paralytic is healed. Uh, Matthew is called. I mean, this is just bam, 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 one thing right after another. And again, the writer of Mark does not waste time getting into the ministry of Jesus. Now, Luke and Matthew cover so much, and it's important. But Mark did not cover that. He he makes the—let me make this statement. He makes the assumption, and a correct assumption, that Jesus is God. He doesn't have to prove it through the birth. He doesn't have to do it. He is, and he tells what he did. And uh, so I I love Mark. It's uh, As you said many times, you said uh, you like for folks. That's the first gospel you like for some— of the people who's just been saved to read. And I understand that as well, Alex. Did you, growing up, because this word is maybe kind of uh, not used as much as it was, the word straightway. My grandmother, when she told me to do something, because, see, the, the chicken farm was way back behind the house, and she'd say, run down to the barn and tell your dad this or that, and straightway. And what she meant by that was, don't go get my bicycle out and and don't go to the horse stable to piddle. Whenever she said straightway, she meant get get right to it. Well, I believe she got that out of the Bible because that's kind of an old school word. But Mark uses that word straightway. Now, I want to read a verse out of chapter one, and I wish this were true for today. Um, After, you know, the call of Simon... Um, it says, in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Jesus got up to go pray. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. Verse 37 of chapter 1, and when they found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. Bert, don't you wish that all men would seek for Jesus these days? Amen, Alex. And Let me just share with you, that is a goal worth having. It is a a striving for, to know him, to seek him, and uh, he was, and he had done this, and the reason so many were looking for him, look at verse 34, then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. In other words, he had done all these things, and he went away to get away from that. And then in verse 38, it introduces to what he wants to do as primary. Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And so, Mm. Alex, I, I found that interesting. He left the crowds and the multitudes of someone to get to be by himself and then go to a situation where he would not have the crowds because sometimes, have you noticed this, even in your preaching, the crowd is so big you don't communicate well, you know? and yeah, that's and, true. And what's the best discipleship, one-on-one or one-on-10,000? Yep. Do you know what? I've, I've often said that discipleship is life-on-life transference. 
you know? And hey, I, you and I, we've both been to big events. We've both spoken at big events, and it's a blessing. But I want to tell you, the people that shaped me and invested in me, it was really one-on-one or, or at least very small groups. Yeah. And that's where the deep, deep impartation comes, isn't it? It really is. And so those who are listening, don't don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise that small church you're pastoring. Pastor, I've been there. Yeah, I, I know mm-hmm. what it is to be the one one guy that does it all. And it, 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 and let me just share with you, Alex, that has its advantages. It really does. And so yeah. there, there's just some things that, that go, but Jesus insisted, let's go to the next town. Listen, these people have, I've had me now. He's not through with them. Matter of fact, he's going to come back to Capernaum in chapter two, but he leaves there to go on to the next town. And verse 39 says, and he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. Uh, I, I found that in casting out demons, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, he did that as well. But his main thing was making himself known through his words. I couldn't help but think about John. In the beginning was the word, and the word became <laughs> he he he. The word became flesh, didn't he? And now yes. he's sharing the truth of God's word. So he was preaching. Uh, Alex, well, that's what we're here on Exploring the Word. We teach, we preach. Uh, it's and preaching is proclaiming. It's not just from yeah. a pulpit, is it? No, no. Uh, and do you know? I mean, obviously, we use words. We verbally proclaim the gospel, and the gospel is a message shared in in words that the Son of God died on the cross and rose from the dead. But I want to say this also: we we really do to. Uh, to draw from St. Francis of Assisi, we preach with our life, too, Amen. honestly. Amen. Um, hey, i got to say something interesting. I think it's interesting. Verse, you alluded to verse 34, Mark chapter 1, And Jesus healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, cast out many devils. And Jesus would not allow the devils to speak because they knew him. Now, do you remember in the Gospels, sometimes Jesus, Jesus slipped through the crowd and Jesus, maybe he healed somebody, and he would um, he would urge somebody, don't don't say who it was that healed you, because all right, Jesus is God incarnate, and as Jesus would fully present himself to the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas and and all of the religious hierarchy, you remember they said crucify him. Now Jesus, there were this phrase in in a few places, his time had not yet come, right? His time to go to the cross. Now, think about this. Jesus had power over those devils, and he cast out devils, but he didn't allow those devils to speak. Now, what would they have said? Let me tell you, a time or two in the Gospels and in Acts, when demons did speak about Jesus, they said, he is the Son of God. You know, have you come to torment us before our time? And even in the book of Acts, when, remember, Peter was vexed because a demon-possessed girl said, these men are servants of the Most High God. Now, what am I saying? Whenever a demon did speak about Jesus, even the demons would say, this is the Son of God. You know, he has power over us. Here's my point. The liberals nowadays say something even demons wouldn't say. Liberals say Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Even a dumb, condemned, fallen demon acknowledges that Jesus really is the Son of God. Now, obviously, they're not saved. Satan and his demons are headed to the lake of fire. But I want to say this. Those nowadays that deny the deity of Christ, they say Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Oh, my goodness, heaven help those poor blind souls. Even the demons acknowledge that Christ Jesus, yes, is God incarnate. And James would pick up on that in his letter, and he would talk about real faith. And he say, you believe? Well, the demons believe, and they tremble. They not <laughs> only believe, but they have a, I would say they have an emotional response. They tremble at the very word in the name of Jesus. And, and so, Alex, you are exactly right. That was a great point. And, and again, that's what Jesus did. It's, again, 
one of the themes of the book of Mark that he shows over and over again, and you brought it up yesterday, and we looked forward a little bit to see his power and authority over. And you can just say that, over what? Over demons, over diseases, over nature. And and this is what John Mark really draws home here, this his authority. In, in verse 40, and it says, Then a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. Uh, I, I just want to share with you, that that moves me. Jesus moved with compassion for this man who was a leper, put out his hand and did what? Alex mm. touched him. Now, what are you yeah. not supposed to do to a leper? Oh, they wouldn't dare touch a leper. But Jesus did, right? Yes. And these words, and in my Bible, this is red ink because it's the <laughs> words of Christ. Jesus said, I will be thou clean. Amen. Bert, we serve a compassionate Savior. We do. Amen, Alex. I, I just love that. This leper, let's, let's bring it to home as best we can. He's probably been this way for years because leprosy is something that grows. It starts out small. It grows and gets worse and spreads. It is just a hideous, horrible disease. And once you are that way, uh, you you go through the streets there in that town saying unclean, unclean. Mm-hmm. So everybody, would, they didn't even look at them. They wouldn't turn their back. But Jesus looked and touched that's uh, our yeah. that's our savior isn't it well just like um our sins being put on jesus on the cross did not diminish his holiness and disease that he can take away it does not diminish his life see jesus is not going to be touched and brought down by disease he could take it on himself and heal us in fact, Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. But you know what I was reading about? Um, um, do you remember the name Philip Yancey? Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. Great, great Christian writer. Yes. Uh, a very fine book. In fact, I would recommend it called Where is God When It Hurts? Yeah. And he writes about leprosy. And um, the, the loss of flesh and limbs was painful enough. But what was so painful to the lepers was the loss of every relationship. Family members, I mean, talk about aloneness. And yet, these people that no one would go near, Jesus touched and healed, just like he'll touch and heal you if you turn to him. And there's a good movie. It's an older one. You know, I specialize in those old, old ones. Ben Hur. You ought to watch that old one, Charlton Heston. And it shows his family, uh, you know, with leprosy. It was a great movie. It will be a blessing to you. We'll be back with more. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Raul Gupta, Director of National Drug Control Policy. As our nation's drugs are, he evaluates, coordinates, and oversees anti-drug efforts in our country. Psalm 138.7 reminds us of the protection the Lord provides us. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray. Dear God, we ask you to guide Raul Gupta as he leads the fight against drug abuse in our country. We ask this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. A nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says there's nothing wrong with having role models, but even the best of them is no substitute for your own personal relationship with God. He has a great illustration to share with us as we spend two minutes with Tony. Like the story of the man who was walking down the street with a little boy and the donkey. And people on the sidelines were criticizing. They were saying, look at those men walking and not accessing themselves of that donkey. The old man got up on the donkey and the little boy walked. They went a little further and somebody else said, look at that old man riding that donkey, making that little boy walk. Little boy went up and got on the donkey and the old man came down on the ground. Somebody else said, look at that selfish little boy making that old man walk. 
So they decided that both of them would get on the donkey and ride it, and they went a little further, and somebody else said, look at that man and that boy overloading that donkey with their weight. The next person saw the man and the boy carrying the donkey. If you live your life focusing on everybody else, you'll never get the ride right yourself. That is why you cannot live your Christian life piggybacking on somebody else's relationship with God because God does not have the same plan for you that he has for them. And a lot of us are frustrated because we see what God is doing with someone else. Maybe that person is following Christ and maybe you are focused on that person and missing out on what God has for you. Growing closer to Jesus will strengthen every other relationship in your life. Learn more with the help of Tony's CD series, Pursuing Christ, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Explore the Word. Bernie Malik's with you today on this Tuesday. Uh, believe it or not, it's close to spring, but it feels like winter in northeast Mississippi. But we're enjoying, at least we broadcast from inside where it's warm, hmm. but uh, it's good. But Alex, we are collecting listener stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, share coming up in April, which is a great time. We just love to uh, be a part of share to hear from people as they call in and make their pledges and say, hey, we want to be a part of that. Well, you can be a part early by calling 877-876-8893 and, and share what AFR has meant to you. Now, Alex and I, we want, we'd love to hear that from every uh, program that we have, but we especially love to hear what Exploring the Word has meant to people because we hear it on the radio all the time. They'll call in and they say, man, You've been ble- you've blessed us. We've grown. So make that call. It's just a minute or two, and it's 877-876-8893. And they use that right before share and during share to let others know that they're not the only people that's been blessed. So, Alex, uh, we just love to be a part of that, and we love the listener stories, don't we? Well, they really do mean a lot. And, you know, whether it be uh, truckers on the road, or whether it be moms listening at home or people listening on their mobile device or inmates listening in jails. We love everyone, one and all. And if you can call in and give that listener testimony, that would be a great blessing to us. And we'd appreciate you calling. And uh, it would really help uh, what we're doing in, in the context of share wouldn't it? It really does. And so we thank God for our listeners and so make that call today, 877-876-8893. Alex, finishing up chapter 1, uh, Jesus heals the man. It says, verse 42, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go to your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing these things, those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 45. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. But what Jesus did, he went to a deserted place, but they came and found him anyway, you know? <laughs> now, isn't that like a new believer to just start out by disobeying? <laughs> you know, I, he said, I can't keep quiet. I can't, you know? <laughs> but but let, let's not overlook verse 44. Jesus saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way. Now listen to this. Show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now in Matthew 5... It says that Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And going to the priest, I mean, the priest is going to say, oh, my goodness, how in the world did you get healed? Uh, And no doubt the man would have said, well, Jesus did it. But Jesus also told me, here, let's go through the rituals prescribed by Moses. 
So the priest would have known, well, he would have known that the promised Messiah was in their midst because the Messiah would do the work of salvation, but Jesus was the fulfillment, the culmination, the consummation of the revealed law of God. Jesus didn't abolish or break the Mosaic law, but certainly in every point he fulfilled it, didn't he? He really did, and I agree with you. That's I noticed that, that Jesus fulfilled the law. Now, what happens in chapter 2? He comes into a house again. Now, this this is common there in Bethany. He would go into to, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home. Look back in chapter 1, verse 29 to 31. We didn't go over that. We just mentioned it. Guess what he did? He went into Simon Peter's home, and there his uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and he healed her. But not only was he getting into the towns, and not only was he... Uh, doing these things out in the kind of, you would say, the deserted places. Notice what it says in chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house, not the town, not the synagogue, but the house. Alex, uh, I, I, I make a big deal out of this. That's that's where Jesus needs to be. He needs to be in your home, in your <laughs> yes, life, doesn't amen. he? In each and every house. And Bert, Bert, did you ever see that little tract many years ago? I haven't seen one in years, but it said, My Heart, Christ's Home. Yes. Yes, I remember that. Good little booklet. It was. I mean, Jesus needs to be in residence in our heart, in our home, in our families, in our communities, in our churches, in our nation. And the sad thing, he could be. Jesus absolutely could be very, very present in every corner of our nation. Sadly, not everybody wants that, but we certainly do need it. We do. Alex, let me make this statement. Alan Redpath, who is one of my favorite authors, he didn't write as, he wasn't as prolific as some writers, but he wrote about seven or eight. He was pastor of the Moody Church, just a great man. And he said, there's no church any stronger than the homes because the church is made up of those families. And so he, he was making the statement, fathers and mothers and children, uh, practice it at home and let it spread and let it go. So here it was in the house, Alex. So uh, Jesus made himself at home in these houses. Is he at home? Is, is yeah. Jesus at home in our house? That's a good question well, to ask, isn't it? I, I got to say something, and, and Lord knows I'm not boasting or anything, but this morning I was asked to give a statement to the Washington Post about the state of the American family. And I said basically that our nation is only as strong as our families. And the the American family is very fragile right now, and we need to pray for a return to God, a return to morals, and a return to the American family. Bert, a few years ago I was doing some research, and there was a study, and This study is 10 years old, but I I would suspect it still stands true. But of husbands and wives that have, like, devotional together, and maybe you read Open Windows or Our Daily Bread or Streams in the Desert or Morning and Evening Devotions by Charles Spurgeon, which I highly recommend, but you and your wife pray together, and men, you can initiate this. But the divorce was one couple in 1,100. Mm. I mean, in other words, a tiny negligible fractional amount, whereas in the general population, it's much, much, much higher. When Jesus is Lord of the home and the marriage, uh, it, it will be the glue that holds you together. I love this um, that says in verse 1, it was noised that he was in the house. In other words, everybody's talking about it. And so many gathered together, they bring the sick, um, and nobody could come. Now, verse 4 I love the way the old King James is written. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, that's not the media, the, the reporters, <laughs> means the, the, the crowd pressing in. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Of course, this is the very famous man that was let down from the roof, the crippled man that was healed off of his bed. And Bert, here in chapter 2, there's going to be something very key to show that Jesus is God incarnate. Now, remember, Mark was the first gospel. 
Even critics acknowledge what they call Markan priority, that Mark is trustworthy, true, and yet in chapter 2, Jesus not only heals this man, but he heals him spiritually. He says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He demonstrates his deity, and he asserts that, yes, he is God incarnate. And Alex, what they asked, who can forgive sins but God alone? Guess what? Their question was correct. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But they did not recognize Jesus for who he was. One more thing real quick. I don't want to get away from this. And in verse 2, it says he preached the word to them in the house. Now, going back to chapter 1, verse 39, he preached the word to them in a synagogue. It did not matter if he was one or many or a few. He was preaching and sharing the word. And so he said, who, they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go your way, to your house, and immediately he rose up, took up his bed, went to the present through the presence of them all, that they were amazed and glorified God. And I love verse twelve. Mm. We never saw anything like this before. <laughs> now, now that's for sure, isn't it? It really is. Who is this man? But Jesus, what? I, I, this is how it works: the power of God demonstrated in his preaching, and the power of God illustrated in his healing. They worked, and they knew we've never seen anything like this. And so Jesus' healing and his preaching, let me just share with you, they go hand in hand. They work together. Uh, there was healing within your spirit. There can be hurt, healing physically, definitely healing spiritually, Alex. So I, I, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Mark 2, 1 through 12. Amen. Well, and you know, in verse 9, it says, whether, whether it is easier to say to the sick man, thy sins be forgiven, or say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. For God, those things are equally easy. I mean, God has the power to forgive sin. God has the power to provide, to heal. Now, part of the reason, and, and let me say this very briefly, but back in 2014, I was on an 11-day trip in the Grand Canyon, and it was great. We saw a lot of fossils. We saw, Bert, I believe, evidence for the flood. But we each had a pretty heavy backpack. I don't know if it was 40 or 50 pounds. And every day we would hike, and there were some little narrow trails. Well, finally, about the fourth or fifth day, we were on this little bitty rock ledge. I mean, honestly, I kid you not, uh, it might have stuck out three to four inches, and there was probably a hundred foot drop below. And the the guide said, look, uh, we're going to cross over this little 25 or 30 foot ledge, and you lean in on the rock. And he said, we didn't have this kind of path on day one, but here we are about day four or five, and you're, you're going to be ready for this, but it's going to be a different pathway than you've ever walked. So be careful. Nobody fall. Well, I was thinking about something. Uh, we, the church in America, we're on a rocky little dangerous ledge right now. We are. I mean, and I, I know millions, they believe God for their salvation. But I'm going to tell you, folks, in the days ahead, we're going to need to look to Jesus for our provision and many of you do, but we're going to have to understand that every every need that we have met really ultimately comes from the Lord. Yeah. We're going to need to look to God for spiritual protection and resilience, and um, the path that the American church is walking on is not the easy path we've had in previous decades, Bert. Yep. Um, is we're going to have to know that God is our source, and every day we lean into Him and look to Him. Amen. This should not catch us by surprise. The last letter that Paul wrote in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, difficult times are coming, and then later on he said, and it's going to get worse and worse as you see the day approaching. And so to think that someone, we're excluded because 
we are Americans know when we sin and get away from God, uh, there's a price to pay for living in a world that's rejecting God. And will we make it? Yes, we will. We'll trust God and we'll go with him. But it does not mean we will not have difficulty and even great difficulty. We've got brothers and sisters in Nigeria that are being killed daily. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea that are imprisoned and they're killed. They, they really are dying. In Yemen, they're dying. In Afghanistan, they're hunting them down, Alex, to get rid mm. of any of the Christians that were there. And uh, so that's what's taking place. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters that are saved in these locations, and we need to prepare ourselves for if that day comes here, we will be ready. Now listen to verse 13 when he got through. Then Jesus went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. I, notice this, Alex. Isn't isn't this something? Notice how he goes from here to here to here to here in Mark. I mean, he mm-hmm. he was he was there. He came to Simon Peter's house, went out to the sea, went to the deserted place, came back to Capernaum, went into the house. Now he leaves the house and goes by the sea. But what does he do in every place? Preach and teach. That's what he did in verse 13, and he taught them. Uh, I I think Mark is trying to get this across. We're to do what Jesus does, what we're to do, whether we're at home, in the synagogue or a church, whether we're on the radio, whether we're one-on-one, we're to share the word of God with others. The word of God will not return void, but it will go forth, and it will accomplish what God sent it forth to do. Teach the word, Alex. Isn't that well, what he's saying for us to do? It, it, exactly, exactly. And, you know, he says to uh, Matthew there in verse 14, follow me, and they were, you know, eating a, a meal, uh, probably a good meal. Verse 15 says they were eating meat, and many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus. So Matthew gets called, and the whole IRS is going <laughs> to come to Jesus and get saved here. The publicans, tax collectors, sinners— now, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said, how is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? Now, here's the thing. He's gone around the seaside, according to verse 13. Bert, the uh, religious hierarchy, uh, they're interested enough to follow him where he goes and watch from afar, aren't they? They are, but not they. some come to him. Let's get it. I think it sounds like the way I say Nicodemus. it sometimes. Yeah, but many did believe upon him, not just Nicodemus. We know Joseph of Arimathea would be yeah. a follower. And so here it is, these tax collectors and sinners. Jesus has time for the leper. He has time for Peter's mother-in-law and has time for these sinners. He has time for you today if you're listening. Amen. Make that phone call. Ask your Bible question. 888-589-8840. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Do you want your life to really matter? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. You want to make the rest of your life the best of your life? It's not going to happen unless you put God's action plan into practice in your life. And you will have the experience one day of standing before the Lord and hearing him say to you, well done. Discover how you can hear God say, well done. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart each weeknight at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. Persecuted believers in Asia, they love their enemies and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord. This is Bible League International. Abir is a former Islamic leader in Bangladesh. When he became a believer, he was beaten, verbally abused, his home was vandalized, he was forced to move to another city, and he was labeled a traitor. But he holds to the precious promises of God he reads every day in his Bible. I asked Abir, you were beaten, you were cast out. It's so easy to hate 
people that do this to you? He said, no, I love them. Most of us here in America cannot relate to the level of persecution that Christians like Abir in Bangladesh and others throughout Asia are facing on a daily basis. Let's send them the word of God they need and crave to be able to endure and persevere. And that's why we're holding this campaign, Fan the Flame. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20 every gift matched. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. You shall not murder. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the Guttmacher Institute, the majority of babies killed in the womb have been murdered by chemical abortions since 2020. Most advocates for the sanctity of human life are familiar with surgical abortions performed by doctors and murder mills. But since 2020, most abortions are carried out by pregnant mothers ingesting lethal drugs like mifepristone and misoprostol. Populist education played a pivotal role in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey being overturned. It also played a huge role in moving people to embrace the sanctity of human life. In this post-Roe environment, it's important for people to understand we've entered the chemical abortion era. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Wow, pressing on Amen. to the future and pressing in to Jesus. That's what we're doing on Exploring the Word. By the way, the number is 888-589-8840. If you've got a Bible question, we would love to hear from you. 888-589-8840. And while uh, Bert gets ready to take the calls, let me remind you, folks, this is so exciting. Uh, Truth for a New Generation. This is the nation's—well, it really is the longest— uh, largest, longest-running apologetics worldview conference. We're going to be in Paris, Tennessee, April 21 through 23. The very, very wonderful Tennessee Valley Community Church, Carlton Gerald, Steve Gallimore, great friends and colleagues there. There'll be myself, Bert Harper. There'll be Will and Mickey Addison in person, Abe Hamilton. People have asked, is this video? No, this is in person. And by the way, Bert, you know, the main conference is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But we do have a pastor's luncheon on Thursday uh, with Abe Hamilton. There's over 100 people signed up for that. We've got a youth event on Wednesday, uh, the 19th, and we have over 200 teens signed up for that. Amen. Amen. Now, and we also have just one of the greatest music groups, the Bird Songs. I've used the Bird Song family in half a dozen events. They're out of Knoxville, world-class praise and worship music. And the theme is Truth Matters, addressing the issues that will shape our future. But anyway, go to my website, which is alexmcfarland.com. It's only about five weeks away. It's going to be great. It's for all ages. And we want to see you in Paris, Tennessee, April 21 through 23. And you can get complete information at alexmcfarland.com. We are excited about that, being there in Paris, and we hope you will sign up. Well, we've got people online. We're going to get to them. Let's go to Tennessee. Speaking of Tennessee, Greg, what part of Tennessee are you from? Uh, Jackson, Tennessee. Oh, man, just down the road from Paris. Love Jackson. I went to school there at Union University. But you got a question? Yeah, go ahead, Alex. Bert, that's where our our dear friends Jerry and Becky Drace are, pretty near Jackson. Yes, they are. They sure are. Well, Greg, what's your question today or comment? Well, just God's really been impressing on my heart that, that our church is deceived today and satan has just a spirit of religion over our country and and the thing he's been impressing me with is how 
we've made salvation into a commodity in our churches, and and people people believe they possess salvation. And and I, I try to share Christ with people and tell them, do you know Christ? Oh, I'm a deacon. I pay my tithes. Uh, you know, you've heard the statement over the years, I've got my ticket punched, I'm going to heaven. And, and it's just burdening me how, how people just treat salvation like they own it, like it's theirs. Yep. And salvation, you know, the Bible plainly says, you know, Christ is the author and finisher of our salvation. And salvation, if I understand right, it says you're not your own, you're bought with a price. And the life that you now live, you live in Christ and through his power. And, and I think salvation possesses us. We don't possess it. Amen, and Greg. Amen. Yeah. Well, Way to go, Greg. We, we got calls, but you've made your point, and it was a good one. What you reminded me of, I've already referred to 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the last days, perilous times, and in it it says they will be lovers of God, and but they will be talking about the form of godliness but deny its power. And, uh, yes, the Bible says David said this, Alex, restore unto me the joy of your salvation, God. Amen. It's God's salvation, and he has bestowed it upon us, Greg. You, you got, we're possessed. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Great word, man. Anything else, Alex? No, that's a good word. Amen. Folks, the number, 888-589-8840. Bert, where should we go next? Let's go to Texas and talk to Chris. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir, brother. Hey, uh, my question, I'm driving right now, so I'm not sure exactly which verse, but I think it's Mark chapter 1, verse 40 or 41, when it says that Jesus was filled with compassion for the the, uh, man with leprosy. Um, And uh, I was just wondering, have you you come across in, in a teaching setting, when you're reading all aloud, this recently happened to me, uh, where someone has the the translation of indignation or anger that Jesus was filled with indignation. And so then I, you know, I have to dust off my, my old TC notes and start to uh, go through, okay, uh, let's, let's look at this and try to explain to everybody, like, how how would you handle that in a group situation? Okay. Uh, The word comes across and it's that way each time, compassion, indignation would be Jesus reaction to the sin that they're going, that they have them, or the difficulty they're in, but he is filled with compassion for the individual. Can you have both? Yes, you can, but compassion still, if I understand the Greek language, it still has that uh, component of it, Alex, more mm-hmm. more compassion, indignation toward the sin, toward the issue, but compassion toward the individual. Now, now here's a good trivia question, folks. This is one of the lo- longest words in the Greek New Testament, and it's splagnizomai. Uh, isn't that a great word? Splagnizomai is a Greek word, and it means this having been moved with compassion. Five words it takes in English to describe one word. And what it means is there, and you're, you are correct, sir, it is Mark 141, Jesus moved with compassion. It meant that pity instantly welled up within him. Pity. Uh, And you're right. I mean, some translations in English, they might say indignation. You're right over the fallenness and the sin, but it really was compassion such that he said, I will be clean. But um, I I do think the, the best rendering of that very lengthy Greek word is compassion. Bert. I agree with you. I remember doing that in, in Greek class the first year I was taking Greek, and we were that was one of the words our professor wanted us to know. <laughs> it was nail. a big word. It was. And uh, <laughs> so you did good even trying to get it with all of it in, Alex. Great work. Hey, Chris, <laughs> thank you for that great call. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Kerry. Welcome, Kerry. Hey, how are you guys today? Doing good today, good. brother. Good to have you. Good, good. You guys are a blessing. It's always good to be on and talk to you guys. I just had a quick question. Um, do you guys think Nicodemus went to heaven? There's a lot of folks that, you know, thinks he did, and a lot of folks that, you know, thinks that next time he opened his eyes after he died, he opened them in hell. Um, but I just wanted to thank you guys, and I was just going to hang up and listen to your answers. Okay, thank you. Listen. Read John and and get a concordance out. This is one of the best things, studies you can do. People don't use concordances. They use their phone now, but get it out. And follow the journey of Nicodemus. 
and you'll find he came to see Jesus by night. Then he spoke up. Is it chapter 10 where he spoke up at the Sanhedrin and said, Mm -hmm. listen, you haven't heard this man. And then finally, he joined Joseph of Arimathea and burying, uh, putting a burial uh, in the place. I I think Nicodemus is in heaven, no doubt in my mind, Alex. How about you? Oh, yeah. I, I really do, and and I know. Look, we're supposed to believe in Jesus and fearlessly, courageously follow Him. But in that day and time, for a major Jewish leader to come come out of the closet, shall we say, and follow the Messiah like Joseph of Arimathea did and Nicodemus, I mean, that was a big deal. And I, I think that's evidence of his faith in Him, don't you, Bert? I do. I he wouldn't have identified. Uh, getting Jesus off the cross and helping Joseph of Arimathea bury him. And it says mm-hmm. Joseph of Arimathea had been that secret disciple. And Nicodemus was, I mean, he was partnering with him to get this done. So yes. there, I, I, I've never even given it a second thought that Nicodemus is not born again. I really have not. Thank you, Carrie, for your call. Well, we're going to stay in Mississippi and talk to Shane. Welcome, Shane. Hey, Brother Bert, Alex. That was a great word, Alex. I was reading in um, uh, I was reading in Second Samuel chapter eight, where there's a, a lot of old long names in there. Yes. And at the end of it, it's, it's talking about David's officials, and on verse eighteen, it says David's sons were priests, and I didn't know what that actually meant, because I didn't think David's sons could be priests. So I was going to let y'all talk about that. Okay, it is in Second Samuel chapter 8, uh, and it talks about Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's mm-hmm. sons were chief priests or ministers. Alex, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, were they usurping authority? Uh, I, I don't think so, and and... Um, the King James says they were chief rulers. Um, and, and, you know, Bert, this is interesting because this is long before the instigation of the church, you know. Do you know, the Bible says that we're really a kingdom of priests, and every Christian is to minister. Now, some are in full-time vocational ministry, but Bert, um, I don't know when uh, 2 Samuel eight eighteen says that his sons were chief rulers. They were ministers. They were priests. I don't know that they were the ones like uh, Zacharias that went in to offer incense or sacrifice. I don't know that it means priestly function in the Levitical sense. Do you think? Bert? I, I do not, because I noticed in my New King James, they use the word minister. And, and I think it does come across that way that they were ministering. In other words, you didn't have to be a priest to serve the Lord. Uh, yes. You didn't have to be a prophet to serve the Lord. You could be a, a servant of the Lord as a shepherd. That's what David was before he became the king. You could be a servant of the Lord as a soldier. You really could. So I believe this has the idea of ministering to the Lord, not mm-hmm. taking the official position. Thank you. Great. Man, we're staying in Mississippi today, and it's Jacqueline. Jacqueline, are you there? Yes, praise the Lord. Gentlemen, well, how are you? Doing good. Thank praise you for Praise the Lord. You bet. Amen. My question is this. I'm trying to make it short. I want a better understanding. I've been praying about it, and I was listening to you all, and I just was led to call. What is the difference? It's a person less being saved if they baptize in titles. Or if they say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or, like apostolics, uh, is we baptize you in Jesus' name. Are you less of a Christian because of a title? Can you kind of break that down and see where all the confusion is coming? Amen. Alex, take that away. Time, we got two more calls. We're going to try to get as many as we can. You can do that because we both God, agree God on this. God bless you. Yes. You know, different churches have baptized different ways, and sometimes you'll hear the term a baptismal formula, and that means like the words we say, and and short answer is it's all the same. Bert, um, very often I've baptized people, I'll say, 
you know, uh, Bert Harper, on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Have you had a baptismal formula about like that, Bert? I have. I, I give, yeah. Here's what I say. The reason I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and not in Jesus' name only, or not in the Father's name only, or the Holy Spirit name, Holy Spirit name only i give credit because the father loved me he sent his son jesus came and lived the holy spirit lives in me and so i want to give god all the praise but being baptized in the name of jesus hey you're baptized you baptized holy spirit you're baptized the three are one so i the formula is not the issue yeah, where this comes from is Acts 2.38. And, uh, Bert, when I was at Liberty University 20-something years ago, a big controversy broke out on campus because there were a lot of people coming telling the students that if you didn't get baptized in the name of Jesus only, like Acts 2.38, uh, you weren't saved. It was a big deal. Look, folks, uh, because of the Trinity, you could be baptized in the name of the Father, or in the name of Jesus, or you could be baptized in the name of the Spirit, because God is indivisible. God can't be. But, Bert, I love what you said. Let's give the entire Trinity credit. Uh, And Matthew 28 really um, uses this. The Father sent the Son. The Son paid the price. The Spirit called us, regenerated us, seals us. So, uh you're fully a Christian as any believer is, ma'am. Amen. Thank you, Jacqueline. Let's get into Ohio. Clifford, welcome. Yes. Go Thank right ahead. Yeah, brother. Yes, sir. Hey, now, I was just wondering, I mean, I've read through the Bible countless times, <laughs> and I don't really, I can't figure out when did the Ark of the Covenant no longer was no longer in the temple okay Mm. alex did it get lost in babylon and then when herod rebuilt it they had to do another one or was it there or was it there or did after the romans came in what what happened do you do do you know what Uh, i read in one book this is maybe the single greatest mystery of of history what happened to the ark of the covenant we simply do not know. Bert, there's been legend that it's in Syria, and some ancient Christians from the time of Christ have looked after it. I've heard that it's somewhere under the Temple Mount, yeah. but we we honestly don't know, do we? We do not know. I know of a man, he's at Qumran. He thinks it's under the treasures there somewhere. We don't know. Hey, we couldn't get to you, Diego, but let me say this. He was asking about the law being abolished. What part? Listen, the ceremonial law, Diego, hope you're listening. It was abolished. We Christ paid that price. The moral law, it still stands today. It is, thou shalt not murder. Hey, that's good then. It's good now, isn't it, Alex? It is. And folks, we thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Keep your radio tuned to the American Family Radio Network and American Family Radio's great programming, like Exploring the Word. And we we encourage you to pray for this country, tell people about Exploring the Word, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.